Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to today's program. Millennials are a generation born between 1981 and 1996. Well, today's program, we're going to focus on millennials. They came of age, and you most of you know this, they came of age during the Great Recession. Millennials seem to be dealing with some different kinds of problems, just a lot of different financial problems. And what do you think are some of the most critical money problems facing millennials today? According to a survey conducted by PwC, student loan debt, inflating living costs, unexpected expenses, and needing to save more money are just a few. Some say millennials face a harder life than their parents. Now, I'm sure we could get into a debate about that. But I have two millennials in the studio today, Cooper Smith, Michael Powell. I'll represent those that are their parents, and they can be, we'll just get into a debate. Well, you know, it never happens. You can always figure it out. But Cooper Smith and Michael Powell are here, and they're going to talk about common money mistakes that millennials make. And in the second half of today's program, we're still going to be discussing what goes on with millennials, but we're going to talk about the importance of a good credit score. As I said earlier, millennials came of age during the Great Recession. They know a lot about interest rates and about low interest rates, but what about the importance of a good credit score. I know they're not the only ones struggling with their credit score. Stay with us. Michael Powell, Cooper Smith, common money mistakes by millennials and managing your credit score. From our Did You Know files, the stock market is up for the year. And what does it seem like it's going to do for the second half of the year? Well, the S&P 500 has closed at its calendar year high in the second half of the year, 74% of the time since 1950. In 17 of the last 30 years, the index calendar high has occurred during the month of December. Just keep that in mind. Here's something to think about. Also, 2019 is the third year of Donald Trump's first four-year presidential term. The average return for the S&P 500 during the last 23 presidential third years has been a gain of 16.1%. That's an average return based on data going back to 1927. The last time the S&P 500 was negative on the presidential third year was in 1939, 80 years ago. Well, remember, though, past performance is not an indication of future performance. Are you looking to buy a house this summer? Well, the average nationwide interest rate on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage was 3.84% last week, just over one half of 1% above its all-time low of 3.31% achieved in Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving of 2012. Hey, it's a good time to buy a house. Rates are low. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to the iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, money mistakes millennials make and managing your credit score. Cooper Smith. 
Micah Powell. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 at FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Cooper Smith are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're talking today about common mistakes those that are in their 20s and 30s, the millennials, make. And when I mentioned in the monologue, because they come of age during the Great Recession, millennials seem to be dealing with really a number of financial issues that struggle with them, that kind of give them that push and pull. In fact, according to the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finances, the average debt of those under age 35 is about $67,400. And so... They can attribute that to the fact that they make mistakes during a young age. So I've invited two millennials to the studio to talk about this and some of the common mistakes, and we'll deal in the second half with credit score. So, Cooper Smith, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me, Jim. And also joining us is Michael Powell. Welcome to the program. Always good to be here. Well, you know, guys, here's the here's the subject. We're, we're talking about these common mistakes. We're talking about credit score. We're talking about just finances that, the, that, that seem to be strong. The millennials seem to be struggling with, and I know I talked about it a little bit that we could get into a debate here that some say that millennials are facing bigger problems than their parents did, and we could talk about that, but I'll sidestep that today, okay? Right, right. But we'll prepare a debate on that later. Sounds good. All right. So let me start with you, Cooper. What are some of the common mistakes that you see in your practice that really face the the problems that they face as far as the millennials at this particular time in their life? You know, Jim, there's really five big ones that I see. We'll go over them. And again, not in any particular order, but one big one that I see is people that are rushing to buy a home. Um, Every time I pull up my social media, my timeline is full of young professionals, and I'm using some air quotes here for those that can't see me that are adulting. And that's people that are out there. They're buying houses. They're getting new jobs. They're having kids, really just going through life. Um, a big one that I see a lot of these people doing, like I said, is buying houses. I assume many of these people probably don't realize the headache ahead that comes with owning a home. And other homeowners out there know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I, I know that, that that is a big, you know, it is the American dream mm-hmm. to, to move into a home. We have that privilege here in America to buy a home. But what, what, why do you think that's driving people? And, and, and from your chair, when you think about it, being a millennial yourself, what's the emotion there? What's, what's really occurring? You know, the allure of owning a home can be great. Uh, you know, it really feels like you're advancing in your life, you know, but home ownership requires a lot of both time and money. I'll give you an example. Just last week, my sister and her husband were in the middle of getting their gutters replaced and their house repainted, which is not free, by the way. And in the middle of the night, a tree ended up falling through their house. The homeowner's insurance covered the damage to the house, but they actually had to come out of pocket to get the rest of the tree removed. That little hiccup ran them about $7,000. You know, luckily they had the funds set aside for something like this, but if they hadn't, you can imagine it, they would have probably been in a completely different situation. So what I hear you're saying is, and whatever whatever you're doing is the mistake would be not, not preparing for the unexpected. You might prepare for the expected, you know, the idea yep. of, a, you know, something happened to the house, by the, but the unexpected is having the tree removed. That's the tough part. You know, and it really seems like those unexpecteds are what's are happening all the time. 
Um, but when it comes to owning a home, you know, it's important that you prepare, like you said, for both those expected and those unexpected. Michael, do you see that with people that you're talking to that the thought process of the unexpected just doesn't seem to run through that mind? I mean, they're excited about the house, they're excited about as as Cooper said, adulting. I like that term. Yeah. The reality is, is it is it just normal to forget those things that are unexpected? Absolutely. Uh, some people call a house a money pit. <laughs> there was a movie about that. In I a, can remember that. In a negative way. But, I mean, I I just bought a home about a year and a half ago. I mean, yes, I can agree that it is important to make sure that you got a little bit extra than normal in the bank account ready for those type of things, like your sister's situation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, most of the time people don't anticipate how much they really have to put in on the front end of a house unless they just buy a house that's completely ready and you know, you know, I, I move think, in ready. I, I think you're talking about something that I mean. I can remember my first home when we bought it. I forgot that I, didn't, I needed a lawnmower. You know, I needed a grass catcher. I right. needed a mm-hmm. weed eater. I needed an. I mean, all those little things that go. Oh my goodness! I thought the yard was just going to take care of itself. You right. know, even though I knew better, I just forgot that that was all the expenses that unexpected. Yet they should have been things I was planning for. Sure. Yeah, it's like I need a I need a mop and a broom and stuff I don't even think about. You yeah, know? if that happens. Not that that costs a lot. If you just tuned in, my guest today, we're talking with Michael Powell, Cooper Smith. Our our subject is common money mistakes that those that are in their twenties and thirties, those the millennial group. One of the things we talked about the financial burdens, and they're talking about student loan debt. And and Cooper. Talk about that. That is a big issue. We hear about it on the media all the time. We just heard that we're going to tax Wall Street in order to remove student loan debt and all those things. That's a proposal that's come out from the Democratic Party. But why? what's the deal with student loan debt? You know, that's that's another one of those common mistakes that I see millennials making all the time, and that's rushing to pay off their student loans. You know, nothing will put a damper in your financial situation like a big old pile of debt. So it's natural that most people who end up graduating with student loans are trying to pay off those loans as quickly as possible. Now, I would say that this is a positive, that they're trying to get rid of debt, but I caution people to take a balanced approach to repaying your student loans. Talk about what do you mean by balanced approach. So if you're taking, if you're using just absolutely anything and everything that you have to pay off these student loans, let's say you want to knock it out in five years. And at the end of five years, you've got your student loans knocked out but you have no savings, obviously that's a bad thing. If something were to happen, if you were to lose your job or have an emergency, like, I don't know, maybe a tree falling through your house, and you didn't have any money set aside for it, you'd end up having to borrow at a rate that's going to be much higher than whatever your student loans were. But what you're saying, and I appreciate the way you've said that, is that people just need to look at their own situation and, and manage that? Definitely. You know, everyone's situation's different, uh, but I encourage each individual to find a balance between both, re- or I guess, between retirement savings, student loan payments, and saving for today, rather than only focusing on their student loans. That makes a lot of sense. What do you see then, if you're thinking through this process, I, I mentioned, you know, inflated living costs, unexpected expenses. What about borrowing money, just borrowing money, even for a wedding or borrowing money for a trip, those things like mm-hmm. that. You're kind of talking about debt here. And we mentioned earlier that the millennials average debt, a little over $67,000, and that includes student loan, but they just get this debt ball rolling and it can, they can get in trouble. Definitely. You know, and a lot of what that is, is it's lifestyle addiction. People just kind of get used to spending a certain amount of money. When they get raises, they go out and spend more and spend more. Um, finances are all about establishing habits. But what I see people spending a lot of money on really getting into trouble is borrowing money for a wedding. 
Um, weddings are expensive, as you know. According to The Knot, which is a popular wedding planning website, the average American wedding costs thirty thousand dollars, thirty grand. Mm. You know that's more than most people make in an entire year. And to take that back to the homeowner conversation, that's a twenty percent down payment on a hundred and fifty thousand dollar home. You know, you don't think about that, but that can really put a damper on any financial plan that you may be trying to work through. And I guess my concern is. Do 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 you see Michael? I'm asking you this. Do you see people with the what Cooper's talking about that almost get depressed as a result of this enormous amount of debt that they're trying trying to pay off that they can't seem to get out of the shell? You know what I'm saying? They're yeah. kind of stuck in it. Yeah, I mean, I've got some people who I ask the question of, is this debt going to make you sleep at night, or are you just going to stay awake because it stresses you out so much? Most people. With student loans and things like that, most people are aware that, look, I knew when I came into this, I borrowed this amount of money to get my education and better my career. But at credit cards, I feel like that's more of a, or a wedding or some sort of big expense that's not really, a, I guess, an improvement in your career or situation long term. Credit cards are usually the most stressful thing. But I tell people, if, if you've got extra money and you're trying to pay down debts, just think about this for a second. Once you pay that debt off or Take that money, stroke the check, and put it away. You can't get that money back unless it's like a home and you could sell the house immediately. But it's not necessarily liquid. Yeah, and, and Jim or Michael, really to that point, I'm all for people spending money on the stuff that they want to, on the things that make them happy. But I do know that a, a bad reminder of your big day would be even bigger bills. Oh, yeah. So I, I agree with you completely. Yeah, that's a great point. And if you just tuned in, these two guys are millennials, and they're counseling millennials. It's nice to know that guys that are in the trenches right alongside you have a real sense of the, what financial needs are and what you're working on. I guess, Cooper, I'm talking about retirement. I mean, the thinking people, I mean, my generation delayed putting retirement as a priority until they got a whole lot of other things in place. And I see that. I understand that. But the longer you wait, the more it costs you. Yep. And I'm sure the people out there listening heard the word retirement and already started to think about it. You know, I don't make enough money to start saving for retirement. My expenses are too high. How do I save a million bucks? I only make $30,000 a year. To which I would reply, save 20% or $6,000 a year paycheck for 45 years. The issue with this is most people don't start saving for retirement at 20 or even 30 for that matter. I run into people all the time, just like you said, they've got a marker of I'll start saving when I get here or once I reach this point. But what I see is time and time again, people get to that milestone and just find an excuse to push it out even further. It's kind of like kicking the can down the road, just keep mm -hmm. moving it on and moving on. I've had people to come to me and they're 55 years old and they're just now starting to save money. And they're, they're saying, well, and you're, you're trying to explain to them they're so far behind, they're going to have to realize that they're cost of living at age 65 or 70 when they retire, they're not going to achieve what they set out to achieve. And it really goes back to that habits conversation. I tell people all the time, it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And I encourage everyone to at least save something, even if it's just an extra 50 bucks a month. You may feel like you can't afford it in the short run, but in reality, in the long run, you really can't afford not to. Um, you know, in theory, the more that you do today, the less that you have to do later. And the longer that we wait, the less time we have for compound interest. I, I like what you said. And, and Michael, I want to get your opinion, too. You start you said something about establishing habits. And, and I think that's that is not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Michael, do you see that? I mean, people, you, you know, we talk about establishing a habit of saving 10 percent, 20 percent or a <clears throat> portion of your income. 
But the problem is that's easy to do, easy to say, but difficult to do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for someone who's starting out their new career, you know, signing up for a retirement plan or something is a lot more simple because you're not used to the income anyway. So what's that 20% or 10% that you pay, take out of your paycheck to do it or save for it? Not going to make a difference to you because you don't know what it is. But for people that haven't done it in the past and are starting to get used to that, it takes a lot of discipline. It's just like if I haven't exercised in four years, I'm not just going to get up and run five miles out of the house oh, at sure 6 a.m. Sure of course I can. I'm that athletic <laughs> enough to do it, but I'm not just going to be able to do it right out the gate. So, I mean, habits are hard to develop. It, it's funny that you, you say it's funny that you say that, actually. You know, I, I make that comparison all the time to my clients. You know, saving money is a lot like working out. Mm-hmm. The hardest part's getting back in the gym. But once you get back in, you start to see the pound shut off. You know, their muscles are popping out a little bit. Maybe you're seeing a couple abs. It makes it a little bit easier. It, it kind of motivates you. It makes you want to keep working out. Saving money is the same way. If you just get in the habit of doing it without even thinking about it, you know, sure enough, you'll look around your shoulder and see what you saved up without even thinking about it. Well, I, I yeah. appreciate what you guys are saying because I think that is such a formal habit when you talk about habits forming that habit making it a formal part of your thought process it is so critical and i do what you like what you talked about the retirement plan and the 401k at work you know at least get the put the money in to get the match if there is a match absolutely get the match mm-hmm. that's doubling your money and at least start there and that's kind of what you're saying is start somewhere right. and make it a habit yep All right, guys, I just uh, want to make sure we do that. Uh, Last but not least, the whole idea of getting advice, failing to prepare, help me with that, Cooper, because everybody, I know sometimes we just kind of think, I have these dreams, I have these goals, I know what I want to do. I mean, the millennial is definitely that group of people that are very Mm purpose-driven, but how do they how do they know they've got the right dreams or the right goals or how do they understand their their what they're trying to accomplish you know and that's really the biggest issue that i see and that's just fe- people that fail to strategize you know i'm not trying to speak for all those again using those air quotes all those out there that are adulting but i would say more often than not young professionals are living for today and not tomorrow right they're thinking about things like how do i pay the rent how do i buy groceries not how much should i save for retirement On the flip side, most of these people will be able to tell you exactly what type of life they want to live in retirement. Most of them will say, I don't want to have any debt. I want to have a nice car, a nice home, a vacation home. But they don't take the time to think about not only what would that cost in today's dollars, but in 20, 30 years when we want to retire, what's that going to cost? And then backing into that saying, how much do I need to save each month and where do I even need to be saving it? Uh, And that's really where a financial strategy comes into play. And personal finance, having a strategy is really what separates you from those that don't. We can do two things with a dollar, and I say it all the time, you can save it or you can spend it. And that's what stresses so many people out, wondering what should I save, what should I spend. And what I've seen is that if we aren't intentional about what we want to do with our money, it will most likely feel like it's just slipping through the cracks. What a financial strategy does is it helps you balance the needs and wants of today with the needs and wants of tomorrow. And failing to have a strategy for the future can result in years of hard work with little or nothing to show for it. What I tell everybody that they should do is build a strategy based on what you want the future to look like. And that'll give you a clear idea of what you need to save today. With professional help from an advisor, you can figure out the best places to direct those savings. You know, when you talk about that, this whole idea of having a purpose and and, and the the millennial is definitely a purpose-driven generation. They've got this mindset. But you're talking about 
kind of categorizing your finances. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, I'm not saying this in a, in a flippant way, but there's this save the world. It's, you know, we're, we're involved in a lot, but, but we're not trying to be selfish. But if you save some money for yourself, you're moving, just setting a little aside, as you said, getting the match, managing debt, you know, don't get so critically involved. Be critical about it, you know, intentional about it, but don't get so burdened down with your student loan debt. Manage manage the emotional side of that, but get started with that. Definitely. You know, saving money isn't always the most fun thing to do. What I've realized is that if you have that tied to something, maybe it's a vacation fund, a new car, a new house, that makes it a little bit easier to say no to maybe going out to that expensive restaurant or buying the new set of clothes um, just because you have something bigger that you're that you're shooting or, or strategizing for. Michael, you said literally rewarding yourself. And Cooper is saying if you reward yourself, make sure you've got it tied to a strategy. Yes, absolutely. I mean, retirement... I guess would be a reward, right? You've worked all your life. You've you've tried to do what you can, so you don't have to anymore. You can support yourself off what you've done. But that's just the hardest thing for us millennials to think about because we just started working. So I think the more we can get in the habit of thinking about the future, thinking about 20, 30 years out, I think it's a lot easier to get that concept because you look at it with your parents or grandparents or whoever, they, got, they probably had a little bit more easier than you just because of the moving parts we have today. And the employers aren't, re- they're backing more on us now to save instead of them providing our retirement. I agree. That's a good point. I remember this early on in my career. If I took a 25 to 35-year-old and asked him about retirement, I couldn't get a sentence. I get a 45 to 55-year-old, I get a paragraph. I get 55 to 65-year-old, I get a book. I mean, there's just more to it when you get older, but you're saying be disciplined, pay attention. We'll talk more about that when we come back because we're going to talk about what does it mean to have a good credit score. That ties into everything we're talking about. A bad credit score has got a lot of penalties. You'll find out from Michael what they are. Cooper's going to add to that. We're going to talk more about literally common mistakes that those that are in their 20s and 30s make and why is a good credit score important? My guest, Cooper Smith, Micah Powell. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest today, Michael Powell, Cooper Smith. We're talking about some of those things that are just common mistakes that are made by those that are 20 to 30, the millennials. And I've talked about the fact that they face different or unique financial problems. They came of age during the Great Recession. And again, we understand that they understand low interest rates. And that's great. And they've been thinking about mortgages and they've been under 4%. And, you know, it's nothing for them to think about that. They maybe rush, as, as Cooper said, rush to buying a home. But the reality is, you know, do they understand credit scores? Well, coming up in just a few minutes, I've got Michael Powell. He's going to help us understand really what makes up a credit score and how to manage your credit score. But before I get to that, Cooper, let me let me ask you this. We talk about this on the program a lot, about FOMO. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a, I'll let you define it, but the reality is that drives a lot of people. Millennials are not the only ones it drives, mm-hmm. but the, the, you can define the FOMO. But the key being is it is a part of our society today that my generation, 
as a when I was at the age of twenty five to thirty five, did not have that that issue beating us all the time, kind of bringing something to our attention or or the concerns about trying to stay up. I mean, the old adage of keeping up with the Joneses, you know, the reality that's been around for generation, generation, generation. Today, it seems to be a pressure point, a pain point that creates all kinds of issues. Talk about fear of missing out, fear of missing, excuse me, FOMO. Yeah, right. So so FOMO, like you said, the fear of missing out, um, I would say that's amplified by social media. You talk about keeping up with the Joneses. Well, what I've realized the longer I've been in this job is that the Joneses are broke and that they just look like they've got money. Um, you know, <laughs> They just refinance. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they got a good credit score. That's right. <laughs> But it, it goes back to that lifestyle addiction. You know, if, if I'm sitting here renting an apartment and all of my buddies are on Facebook and they're all buying big new houses and doing renovations, that puts pressure on me. I want to be part of the group, right? I don't want to be the only one that doesn't have a house, the only one that's driving the old car. So that, that, that FOMO really is a, uh, a true thing. You know, my Facebook's full of people that are going on big, expensive trips. They're going on cruises, buying nice cars. Um, you know, and I just don't think that you would necessarily see, you know, those same people doing that back in the day. Obviously, without social media, you weren't, you weren't exposed well, to that. Well, you may have been exposed, but it wasn't rushing at you right. like a fire hydrant. Right. I mean, every time you, I pull every, up my phone. You, right. I mean, you can't hardly go throughout the day mm-hmm. without that hitting you four, five, six times a day yep. from multiple, especially if you're in the social media a lot, you get it coming at you a lot. Michael, you've talked about that, too, before, where it's just a constant, ongoing thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this time of year is the worst when you look at your social media. You can see people with the feet in the sand on the beach. It's horrible to look at when you're on a Wednesday (laughs) at the office, for sure. But, no, I mean, you see that a lot. I think it's a herd mentality type thing, just going back to psychology 101. But, I mean, you got to think about your situation at the end of the day. Is it worth doing all these different things? Because, like like we've said the whole show, we got to think long-term when it comes to what we're doing, and we can make mistakes short-term that could really negatively affect us 10, 15 years. Well, that's kind of what we talked about earlier. The reality is that the Federal Reserve said, when they did their consumer report back in where they talked about finances and said this age group, the millennials, at $67,000, that most of the mistakes they make, they make at a young age. Mm -hmm. What you said, Cooper, was so important for us to close with in this segment is the fact that they need a financial strategy. They need to have someone guiding them through that. Being a guide for someone when you are a millennial and you know the language and you know what's going on with social media and you have all those issues happening to you, being a guide for someone going through this financial war that we're fighting Mm -hmm. just to reach a certain thing out there, whether it's retirement, college education for our children, whether it's having that summer home that you want to, all of those issues they're fighting for, failure to do that, you're the guide to help them through that. You know, I appreciate that. Yes, sir. I'm uh, happy to be a help. You know, again, like you said, I'm going through the same thing right now, and I get the struggles, right? I enjoy spending money. I like buying nice things. But at the same time, I make sure that all of my other, my P's and Q's are taken care of before I go out and go on that trip today and stick my toes in the sand. There you go. Michael, credit score. What is, define credit score, because we want to talk about that. That is such an issue for a lot of people, not just millennials. We know it's an issue, a problem for millennials, but define credit score. So the main thing you want to know about a credit score is that it's defined by three of the big national CRAs, credit rating agencies. 
you got Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. You've probably been familiar with those before, but really it represents a three-digit number. Typically, it goes between 300 and 850, but it basically represents your credit risk. The higher your score is, closer to that 850, the better risk that a lender is willing to take on lending you money in some shape or form. But really, all it is is the likelihood of you paying your bills on time, and it's calculated based on a method you know, through your consumer file, but every agency has their own unique way of calculating. So so knowing your score is the first step of managing it. Yes. So 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 that's critical for us. From all three agencies you well, need to know. Okay, now you were you were going through this idea of what makes up the score. Can you get a little bit more specific about what makes up that credit score? Sure. There's five metrics you need to know. The top two, which basically makes up sixty five percent of your score is payment history and amounts owed. Uh, 35% is the payment history. It's really how reliable are you? Are you making your payments on time? Late payments negatively affect you. Paying on time positively affects you. Pretty simple, right? 30% is the amounts owed. How much do you owe relative to the credit you have? And that's the biggest thing I feel like most of us in our generation are dealing with from what's negatively impacting our score. And let me, I'll give you an example. Let's say I go open a credit card. I don't have any debt to my name besides this credit card. They give me $5,000 of limit. They said, you could spend all this, and then we're cutting you off. Rule of thumb is don't spend what they ask, right? <laughs> right. But you want to keep at least, or I would say no more than 30% of what they lend you on a balance at all times. Because the more you have on it, if I have three or $4,000 of that $5,000 limit, that actually negatively impacts you. I mean, it's okay to put it on there every now and then, but don't keep it on there for a longer period of time. So you are saying make your payments, if you do have a debt, yes. make your payments on time, and then try to keep that pay that amount of debt at a certain percentage of what your total limit is. Exactly, because the credit agencies don't like, or even like people who are looking to finance something for you, they don't like the fact that I may have $50,000 of credit limit, but I've got $49,999 on it. It just makes it more of a risk. Okay. Well, when we come back, I want to find out specifically when you talk about this idea behind credit, managing your credit score, I know you're going to talk about some advantages Mm -hmm. because for our generation, my generation, and your generation, the advantages are the same. They're really very important for us all to manage our credit score, be very aware of it. That's what you're going to help us with when we come back. Am I right? Yes, sir. All right. That's great. If you just tuned in, Michael Powell, Cooper Smith, we're talking in this segment of the program about some ways of looking at your credit score, knowing about it, understanding it, and then managing it, doing the things that make it better. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. The winter of 1811-1812 proved to be a tumultuous time in the Mid-South in more ways than one. From the middle of December to the beginning of February, the Missouri Boot Hill was struck violently by a series of powerful earthquakes along the new Madrid Fault. With an affected area of over 1 million square miles, these were the most powerful earthquakes to hit the eastern United States in history, including the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which covered only 6,200 square miles. The town of New Madrid itself was destroyed. The Mississippi River flowed backwards for 24 hours, forming Real Foot Lake, and as far away as Boston and Toronto, 
The shaking was intense enough to cause the church bells to ring and chimneys to fall over in Maine. At the request of Governor William Clark, federal disaster relief was granted by the government for the first time. Had those earthquakes occurred today, they could have caused one of the greatest economic disasters in the history of the United States. This has been another Mid-South History Moment. Brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and were redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're talking with Michael Powell about how to manage or why a good credit score is important to you. He's talked about the first thing. He defined it for us very clearly, and he says there's four or five things. We covered two of them, payment history and amounts owed. Michael, I know you talk about length of history. What what are some of the other two or three that you have there that make up that understanding, the idea behind how you the metrics that you use? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, length of history, the longer you've had credit, the better. Um, Also, new credit. Older accounts are better because it shows you're reliable, you've been paying on it, you've been, you know, consistent with it. And the last one is types of credit. You know, credit card debt is considered not as good of debt if you compare it to like a home mortgage or student loans. So there's a difference there. So the quality of debts is another thing. All right. So whether you're getting started establishing a credit millennials or whether you've had credit for years and you've been working on it, my age group, the the baby boomers, bottom line is managing credit, managing your credit score is something that is anybody thinking about financial matters in their lifetime should be very sensitive to managing their credit score, should be checking it. So let me ask you this. Give me some benefits of having good credit that people just forget. I mean, I don't, it's hard for me to say that. It's kind of like, I can't believe I just said they forget, but I know they do. They just don't realize that keeping a good credit score, this is a benefit. What are some of them? Right. Because most people think about good credit until they have to borrow something Mm -hmm. or borrow money. But one of them is affecting how and where you live and how much you're paying for that. Because if you go to a mortgage lender, or if you're looking at buying a home, like Cooper was talking about in the first segment, if I have a good credit score, then I'm going to be able to lend their money at a way cheaper rate. You talked about how low interest rates are today. If I don't have a good credit score or I have bad credit history, they may not even finance my loan, let alone give me a really high interest rate that could cost me a lot. So that's a big one. That's a huge deal because I, I like what you said. It affects where you live. It gives you the, the, the area, the, the idea behind that. That makes it so much sense. So good credit get you, I'm going to say, a better place to live, a better home, lower payments. So managing that, number one, is affecting your lifestyle and where your family is. Mm -hmm. That's extremely important. What about the truck or car you drive, Cooper? I mean, <laughs> that's important. Yeah, so so same type of thing, very similar to the mortgage situation, but it can also affect not only what you drive, but how much you pay to drive it. So chances are you don't have just the cash sitting here in your pocket set aside to buy a new car, so you're going to have to qualify for a loan. Um, but actually, the both the amount and the interest rate of that loan is based on your credit score. So generally speaking, loan applicants that have a good credit score will qualify for higher loans with more interest rates. So there's just another reason, you know, of how good credit can put more money back in your pocket. All right, guys, you're very good at this. But I think I want to just ask this question. And I, and I, and 
I, I guess I, let me get you some feedback. Michael, I mean, help me with where we are just before I get my questions. I was going to add to just what Cooper was talking about with driving a car. Even if you're not even buying that car, if I just lease it, they still look at your credit score. Sure. Because that's sure. still a payment. That's a payment. If, if it's a payment involved, they're looking at your credit score. So but, even leasing. But can guys, be that when way. you talk about house and car, boy, those two things hit you home. That's, that's quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very important. But now I happen to know one of the things that you've mentioned to me as we've talked about this program today is one that credit scores, some people just it doesn't even come on their radar screen. I get, I totally understand that when we're talking to someone and we mention home, they get it. We mention what you drive, they get it. But this third one, Michael, is unbelievable when you think about what it does. It could affect your job or job searches as well when you're looking at your credit because a lot of times when you're applying for a new job or applying for a new promotion, many employers are are to conduct some sort of credit check of when they're hiring you just to make sure that you can gauge in something financially responsible for. Um, If you haven't demonstrated that, the employer may be hesitant to hire you. So, I mean, we're we're in a day and age and generation to where we're looked at through a fine-tooth comb with a lot of things, and credit's one of them now. Millennials need to understand that that what you're saying is being financially responsible. You talked about it literally, you know, FOMO is mm-hmm. the, was the issue about fear of missing out, how that creates that emotion, that anxiety, those problems. So really just just the responsibility that they have at that adulting thing that yep. you're talking about is so critical and yet you see it in your practice that they, that we struggle with that, that there's a struggle of the natural uh, indica- I guess inclination to to want to do this but not do it. Yeah, and I would really say the biggest thing that you can attribute that to is just lack of education. So again, back to that adulting, what I joke that those adulting decisions are is it's all the stuff that you're expected to know how to do once you get out of school, but nobody ever teaches you how to do it. So being that's a great point. You you're expected to know how mm-hmm. to do it, but then all of a sudden you have to learn the hard way. Sometimes you're making big mistakes. Oh yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is having a lack of education on it. Yeah, and that that credit's going to affect you whether or not you're thinking about it. So you can be going through life choosing to not think about credit. Time goes to buy a house or buy a car. Well, chances are, like you said, that's when you're really going to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Michael, you mentioned the ability to start a business can affect, you know, you can be affected by, you know, if a person starts and goes into work and he's worked four or five years and he says, you know what, I I think I want to step out and start a business. Or maybe he wants his spouse to start a business and she's out here or he's out here. They're going back and forth. And they say, well, we could do this, and they want to do something, and they can't because of a bad credit score. Sure. I mean, small businesses, as you know, I mean, they're popping up every day. There's more and more things out there that we can do on our own instead of working for a big employer or something like that. And just like buying a house, just like buying a car, it takes a lot of money to start up a business. And if I don't have a lot of money on the sidelines ready to start a business, I have to go borrow it. And if I don't have good credit, once again, going to make it a lot more difficult for me to be able to start that business, at least to where I want it to be. Uh, that is Because so, I don't have the lending powers. Right. Much. That is so critical for us to understand. Back to buying a house, because Cooper, you mentioned something earlier, monthly bills. This credit score could affect what you're paying for utilities. Yeah. And that, that's something that a lot of people don't realize that it can indeed affect those monthly bills. Um, a lot of times credit is needed to even establish utility services. 
Company use those companies use those scores as a way to determine your financial responsibility. So if you haven't established credit, you might have to put down a deposit or even a monthly fee. A couple years back when I went to go into my first place, actually, I was calling our local utility company, trying to set up my services. They said, we're going to have to do a credit check. They came back, told me my credit was up to par and I didn't have to put down the monthly deposit. So there's a real life example of why or how dealing with my credit or thinking about my credit at an early age has already paid off. Well, when we come back, I want you guys to walk our listeners through ways to repair that credit score. I mean, they've got to be, if I've got a bad credit score, sure, you've told me all the problems I got. Mm-hmm. Tell me how to fix it. Tell me the steps that I need to need to go through to walk out of here a year, two, three years down the road and say, hey, I'm on the right road. I've moved the score from X to Y and it's better. And now I don't have to have pay a higher utility bill. Now I can buy the car that I want to. I can get move my family to where I want to be. When we come back, we're going to talk about ways to repair your credit score. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Michael Powell, Cooper Smith. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, if you just tuned in, we're talking about managing your credit score. We've talked about literally some common mistakes that are made by the millennial group. But the reality is, if you're trying to reach your financial dreams and goals, if you've got this idea behind where you're headed and what you're wanting to do, we're talking about things that could get in the way, some roadblocks, some some issues that it just doesn't, you just don't want the credit score to put a hindrance to what you're trying to accomplish overall financially. So we're trying to guide you through this and help you understand what to do. So Michael Powell is going to help us understand some of those factors that might affect your credit score and understanding how Lenders are going to view these things different, but they're examples of things that you can do to improve that credit score. So, Michael, start with it. Let's go through them. Well, before improving your credit score, you need to know where you're at. And really to ensure that is, like I mentioned earlier, about the three credit rating agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, and um, Experian. You can actually get a free credit report every single year from all three agencies at annualcreditreport.com. It's annualcreditreport.com. Pretty simple. But each year, I would encourage you to take a credit report from each one to make sure that there is nothing in that credit report that is inaccurate. Because inaccurate things or you know the negative things, that automatically relates to your credit score. So that's the first thing you need to do before you start trying to figure out how you can improve it. But when most of the time when we're trying to improve it, don't miss your payments. That's the number one. Make sure that you pay your bills on time, whether it's utility bill, your credit card payment. Even if it's the minimum, make sure you make it on time. That's the one. Even though it's the minimum. You need- Even though it's the minimum. You don't have to pay off that credit card balance or whatever it is that month as long as you pay the minimum they ask and on time for that. That's the biggest one. Other one is making sure you improve that debt to credit ratio. Like I talked about earlier, you got a certain limit they give you, but don't put it all on there. If you have above that number, start slowly paying that off more than the minimum because that could. Okay. So now we're talking about discipline here Mm -hmm. of making the payment every month and then obviously managing that debt rate, the debt to credit ratio. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and then uh, making sure you just stay under that because that's the hardest part is to, uh, once you pay it off, making sure that's on there. But fixing the debt to credit ratio, like I said, paying your bills on time, and also just making sure that you um, just stay consistent with it because that's the biggest thing. Well, I think the word consistency is so important. Managing your finances consistently. Cooper, you talk about something all the time around the strategy. Explain that to our listening audience, and then we'll kind of close out the program. Yeah, you know, if I had to sum everything up, the the biggest thing that I would say when it comes to strategizing is to start early. You know, chances are your expenses are the lowest that they're ever going to be, and life's going to happen fast, and it's going to be way more expensive than you think it is. You know, if I had to sum all of it up in one sentence, that's all the things you hear about your parents complaining about growing up, they're absolutely true. Time goes fast, and life's expensive. That makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of sense. I get it. That's good, Michael. From your chair, when you talk about managing this credit score, you're literally saying, don't you know, apply credit not so frequently and just stay in it. What else would you say, just in a summary statement of what we're trying to do? Just, I think self awareness is the biggest thing. If you don't know where you are, you can't improve yourself. Just like anything else, you're trying to do relative to your life, but. Um, Make sure that with your credit score in general, don't close out credit cards or credit accounts so quickly because that could also negatively affect. But just making sure that cross your T's, dot your, dot your I's, and just stay in the course with that. It's all discipline and self-awareness. I appreciate the discipline. With. One more time, let's go back through. If they need to check their credit scores, let's go through that process again. They check it with Equifax. Go back through that whole process of what they need to do to check their scores. Sure. Um, what you want to do is go to annualcreditreport.com and that's going to give you a credit report, one free, you only get one free one a year. So keep that in mind. You can't do it every single month. So I would encourage you to get one from each agency three times a year. So just spread it out. That way you're keeping up. You just don't want to get all three at once because you got to wait until the next June or whatever to get that credit report. But it's not always going to tell you your score, but most of the time you're credit card company or whoever can get you a credit score. Um, If not, there's a lot of different providers out there on the internet that can give you a good ballpark of that. And that's annualcreditreport.com. Yes, www.annualcreditreport.com. And if you find an error, correct it. Yes. Do what it tells you to do to correct it. You can get a dispute going. That's great, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being a part of today's program. You've been listening, of course, to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, Michael Powell, Cooper Smith. If you'd like to talk with them personally about the subjects that we've talked about today or anything else, call them at 901-757-5757. We hope you have enjoyed today's program. As always, thanks for listening. And if you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Guys, thanks so much for being a part of today's program. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jim. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. 
Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Cooper Smith are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.